When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you of flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Alice, for praying and for Harold um, for reading. And let's turn to God's word in Matthew chapter 16. If I could invite you to have your Bibles open um, to Matthew chapter 16, that would be great. But let me pray uh, for us as we start. Lord, we thank you so much for your word um, that it goes out and it builds the church. And Lord, we pray now that you would speak to us. You would open our eyes to see the truth in these words. Um, Build us up as your church. Strengthen us uh, in our relationship with you and with one another. And Lord, send us out with this good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, during my college years, I had this job of selling books door to door. I went door to doors to sell um, these books, and I met really interesting people, many, many interesting people. And one of them, let's call him Eric, uh, claimed to be a hell's angel. Um, hell's angel, uh, who was a, which is a motorcycle, outlaw motorcycle club. I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I, uh, by the looks of it, it wasn't that great. I mean, he was, you know, his body was completely covered in tattoos. His ears were pierced, and he had this sort of, you know, gaunt, lean, and mean look that many dangerous people have, except that he wasn't dangerous. He actually was a, a Christian. He invited me and my book-selling friends to his home, and there he told us about how he became a Christian. It was a strange story. Uh, It involved him doing something illegal that day and then coming back home, in his words, to beat his wife. He was drunk and high, and he actually just passed out in the middle of the living room there. And the wife, who was the recipient of this abuse uh, regularly, uh, but she had never seen like something like this before, and she panicked. She didn't know what to do. Uh, she wasn't a Christian. Uh, nobody in that family was, but they had a Bible, and so she grabbed a Bible, and she said that she just started reading from it because she didn't know what else uh, to do. And this is where it gets a little strange. She told us that the Bible started to levitate. It started to float in the air. And she then told us how these, the black evil spirits sort of came out from his body, many of them, and went into a wall and it uh, burnt uh, this hole, black hole on the wall. And when he woke up from that experience, he was a changed man. He repented, he turned to Christ, and he was actually now an itinerant preacher. I don't know what you uh, would do with that sort of a story. I'm a skeptical person. Even as I was listening to the story, I was thinking, I'm not sure if I believe all of this, but there was this 
niggling question, right? Something happened. Something happened to this man. This man's past was written all over his body. <laughs> his tattoos testified to it. And yet, this was a man now, a gentle person. A person whose wife testified to this change. Uh, who invited us uh, for dinner and who was sharing the love of Jesus with us. Something happened that day. What happened? Well, actually, the same thing that happened in this chapter, in this section of the Bible. God was revealing himself. God was building his church. God was calling people to himself, and he was sending people out with a new mission of sharing the love of Jesus to the people all around the world. That's what happened to Eric and that's what happens um, here in our chapter. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is the place where we see, um, we see in the beginning. Uh, it wasn't the most obvious place for this revelation. As you can see in that map, it's at the northernmost part of Israel. Uh, it's in the, firmly in the Gentile territory, and you didn't have to wonder who the rulers of the city was. It was written in the name, Philippi. Well, Philip the Tetrarch was the, uh, the son of Herod the Great. Um, Herod the Great was the, uh, um, uh, was the ruler, uh, and he then renamed the city uh, Caesarea Philippi, Caesar right, to honor the, the Caesar, the emperor, uh, in, in Rome. And in that place of those kings, it was also actually uh, famous for uh, pagan worship. Before it became Caesarea Philippi, it was actually called Panias. And Panias, bearing the name of uh, the, the, the god of Pan, Pan, the god of nature. Uh, one commentator tells me that Pan was the most important fertility symbol in the pagan religion. And so it was an important place for many reasons. And in this city of, uh, of worship of different kings, in the city of idol worship, it was here that Jesus calls his disciples and asks, what do people say that I am? What do you say that I am? And you know the story. Um, people say, the disciples say, well, people say that you are the, uh, you're Elijah or John the Baptist or uh, one of the prophets like Jeremiah. But um, Peter answers most remarkably in verse 16, no, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You aren't like John the Baptist or Elijah, somebody who prepares the way for the Messiah. No, you are the Messiah. Um, you, you are one of the prophets. You are the one who the prophets have prophesied about. You are uh, the Messiah in the city of kings. Jesus, I recognize you to be the Messiah, the promised king, uh, the descendant of David whose throne will never end. You are the true king, God king, promised in Psalm ch chapter 2, a God who became incarnate. You are that in that place of idol worship, in that place of worship of other kings. Uh, Peter professes Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, how did Peter come uh, to this conclusion? Uh, Jesus tells him uh, uh, that it wasn't him. You might have heard of this um, 
Uh, Thomas Edison is famous for saying that uh, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, uh, which means just hard work is what makes a genius. In inventing that light bulb, he tested out, he said, six, over 6,000 materials, vegetable materials. I didn't even know that there's 6,000 vegetable materials to test. He tested every single one of them. He tested every single filament that was out there that could be useful before arriving at carbonized cotton as the ideal filament for the bulb. How he arrived at his conclusion was hard work, dogged pursuit. It wasn't like that for Peter. But it wasn't Peter at all. Jesus says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And friends, what was true of Peter is true of all of us. Whether in some spectacular fashion like Eric, or just mundane means like your parents teaching you, your teachers. Uh, If you recognize Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that's a miracle. That's God revealing himself to you. Because without God's action, you cannot recognize that fact. You would not arrive at that fact on your own. None of us can. And we know that partly because there are miraculous conversions like Eric, right? Like Paul, who persecuted uh, Christians. Like, I mean, I think you asked Niels about his past. It was an unlikely story um, to church leadership. Yet God reveals himself and he brings people to himself. And not only that, not only unlike people converted uh, to become Christian, the likely people, the people who we think should become Christian, after years of reading the Bible with them, after um, you know the, 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 these nice people coming to church, they still don't turn to Christ. Well, why? Well, because there are no likely or unlikely people. <laughs> None of us are likely. Uh, only God can open blind eyes. Only God can turn us to this fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So if you are a Christian, after the service, after this sermon, pray a prayer of thanks. I ask, thank God that he's opened your eyes so that you are able to see the identity of Jesus. And pray for others. Easter is coming. Um, pray for this opportunity for God to open um, their eyes to see the identity of Christ. And if you are a person who's still exploring Christianity, could I ask you not just to continue your exploration, but get down on your knees. Hum- humbly come and ask God to open your eyes, because this is not a conclusion that you can arrive on your own. You need God's help. Ask God. Blessed are you, Shatin Church, for our faith is not revealed to us by flesh and blood, but our Father in heaven. God opened our eyes, and it's God who's building his church as well. I tell you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, this section of the Bible is one of the most controversial sections in the Bible because of the way that the Catholic Church um, uh, uh, interprets it. They believe that the rock upon which the church is built is the person of Peter. Peter is the first pope. 
who's given this key. And his successors are given the keys as well, symbolizing their authority. Reacting to this, Protestants say, some Protestants say, that this has nothing to do with Peter. It's all about his confession, what he said, that you are the Christ, son of the living God. And it's upon that confession, upon that confessional rock, that the church is built. Clearly, though, there's some connection between Peter and the church, right? Because there is a wordplay here, and you might have heard of it. I tell you that you are Petros, Peter. And on this Petra rock, I will build my church. Clearly, that uh, wordplay only makes sense if there is a connection between Peter and the church. So what is this rock upon which the church is built? Well, it's both. It's Peter and his confession, right? Peter is the rock, the foundation of the church, because he's the person who makes this confession, (laughs) And as long as he stays with this confession, as long as he recognizes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he will become uh, the foundation of the church upon which the church is built. He can't, it can't simply be the person of Peter because, well, in the next section, as we'll see next week in verse 23, he's called Satan. If he strays away from this confession, what it means to confess that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, well, he'll be called Satan. So he can't be the person. It's person and the confession together. But because he recognized Jesus as the true Messiah, the King, the Son of the living God, and that's what he proclaimed to the world, well, it was upon him and upon that confession God built the church on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. So I want to clarify some of that misunderstanding and what that means. But I also don't want you to just be be bogged down down on this because there's an important issue here, more important than the Catholic-Protestant discussion. Because here in this verse, something momentous, something seismic is happening. The nature of the church is changing who God calls his people is changing. Do you see, this is the first place in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, that uh, the the word church is used. Uh, The word church means people who are called out from, called out of. Well, uh, thus far, only the Israelites were considered God's people, people who were called out of Egypt and became God's people through the giving of the law. It was just the Israelites. But here, a different kind of church is being built on this rock, right? That unlike uh, Peter and the confession that he made, a different kind of people will be called his church, his people. It's not just the Israelites anymore. It's everyone, everyone who calls on Jesus and his name, everyone who confesses him to be their savior, their Messiah, the son of God, will be called God's people. That is what's happening here. Uh, That it's not ethnicity, it's not social status, it's not moral status or anything like that. Do you recognize Jesus to be your king? Do you recognize Jesus to be the Son of God who died and rose again for you? If you do, then no matter who you are, you will be part of God's people. You will be called into this church. That is what's happening here. The nature of the church, God's people, is changing. 
And this is why, as unlikely as Caesarea Philippi was, it is the perfect place. Right? This isn't, uh, Jesus does not make this pronunciation uh, at the top of Mount Horeb in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish world. He makes this pronouncement in Caesarea Philippi, deep in the heart of the Gentile territory, saying Jesus isn't just the Messiah for the Jews. He's the Messiah for the world. This is why in chapter 15, Jesus declared, remember, um, all people are unclean. It's not the, 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 the kosher law, the food law, your keeping of the law uh, that makes you unclean or, or clean or unclean. It's your heart that makes you unclean. Everyone, there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentile. And Jesus then goes to uh, Sidon and Tyre and talks to this, uh, 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 this Canaanite woman whose daughter is demon-possessed. Well, what heals this person? It's her faith. Chapter 15, verse 28, great is your faith, Jesus says. And upon our faith in Jesus, upon that recognition, we'll be included as God's people. Jesus then went to feed the 4,000. These Gentiles, the same miracle that he did amongst the Jews, he does it amongst the Gentiles to tell us that there is no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles anymore, that he is the Messiah for all. You see, in the midst of all that rejection, we've heard rejection after rejection. The Jewish, pe- Jewish leaders and people and disciples and everyone misunderstanding him. Well, what was Jesus doing in the midst of that? Well, he was building his church, a new people of God. That <laughs> He was tearing down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles to say that he is, okay, he, he has, is the Messiah who has come for all people. That all who trust in him will become Christians, Christ people, Messiah's people. That he would build his church upon a different rock, different foundation. You see what this means. I mean, it's a small thing, but it actually has a tremendous implication. Uh, When God sees us, God does not see us in these divisions. You know, my heart cries out as we watch this, as I watch this war in Ukraine, where we've divided ourselves into different nations, and we compete. Different nations compete for power and influence. We even kill in the name of our nations. When God sees us, God does not see us divided in this way. God sees one humanity. He sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus bled for all of us to reconcile all of us, the whole people of the earth uh, under the lordship of Christ to reconcile us to him and to one another. And that's what the church is. It's what, that, that, that's what we are as Shatin Church. People from different backgrounds, different countries and social, moral standing or whatever. And we've come together and we're reconciled as people of God, as the church, as people who uh, recognize Jesus' lordship, who consider each other's brothers and sisters in Christ, as one in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And that's why it's so important that we recognize that unity, that we try to make that a reality in our life, in our church life. And remarkably, this, the, the, this plan 
uh, with the church. Remarkably, this plan is the one that God had in mind before the creation of the world. There is no plan B here. This is the plan for God. God had planned to unite the whole world under the Lordship of Christ in the church. It seemed weak and tenuous. I mean, after the resurrection, there were only 11 disciples left. And yet, that was the plan. It seems weak and uh, uh, sometimes unwise to entrust us, people like you and me, people like Eric, you know, with this responsibility. But there is no plan B. This is God's plan. And look at what Jesus says. Uh, uh, How he continues. Uh, I will give you the key. Oh, sorry. Um, Jesus says to him, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Think about that. Gates uh, were, uh, back then, the gates of a city uh, was where uh, the elders uh, came to strategize. Right? This is the place where it was sort of like the town hall and the marketplace and law courts all at the same time. The elders of the city would come and, and strategize. And what he's saying is even the best strategy or the worst strategy of hell cannot overcome the church. Even the worst plan of death itself cannot overcome the church. Even the worst things that this world has to offer cannot overcome the church. Friends, every every bridge, every bridge that you build will fall. Every computer program that you write will become outdated at some point. Every institution that you devote yourself to, well, that will also end. Every, every ideology will fade away or uh, over, be overcome by something else. But the gates of hell will not overcome the church. <laughs> Death will not overcome it. This is an institution that will go on forever. Not because we're great, not because it's made up of great people, but because Jesus bled and died for it. And he's the one who's building it. And he will build it. And he will sustain it for eternity. So, could I invite you to, uh, to join in in this work? Could I invite you to come and join the team, you know, in, in youth, youth group or uh, teach, teaching children in, in, in Sunday school, uh, worked in small group, a music team, or uh, meeting people one-to-one, Christianity Explored, going out and, and praying with people, encouraging people um, in the church, pointing people to Christ. God will use all of it to build a church, and that will last the eternity. I invite you to come and join in partnership with the church. And that's what membership is about. And that's all we'll talk about in uh, those trainings. So to come and find us, uh, find out more about that. But this doesn't mean that we're left to just focus on ourselves, that we become inward focused. Because the church is not just given this mission for one another. It's given this mission, this key to heaven, and it's sent out into the world. See what Jesus says next to Peter in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed 
in heaven. And you might have seen um, pictures like this, pictures or cartoons with St. Peter and uh, with a key at the pearly gate, deciding who to let in and who to exclude. Well, the emphasis isn't quite right there, uh, because it's not Peter who lets people in. Really, he's given the key, that's right, uh, but it's the key that lets people in. And what is the key? The key that's entrusted to Peter. That's actually later on in John chapter 20. Entrusted to all the disciples, including us, is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Is knowledge, the confession that uh, that Peter made, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is the key that opens and unlocks the gate of heaven to the world. The key was given so that he would open these doors. And uh, binding and unbinding, well, that doesn't have anything to do with uh, binding Satan or expelling them or something like this. It's a continuation of the same theme, theme of access to heaven, right? Later on in uh, in Matthew chapter 18, he will actually quote this almost verbatim one more time as he discusses church discipline. You know, when somebody claims to be a Christian, and, but refuses to repent an obvious sin, and refuses to recognize it and repent of it, Jesus tells the church to kick this person out. And then he adds, I, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Of course, this doesn't mean that church's disciplinary action somehow forces God's hand up in heaven. Actually, grammatically, it's a little bit more complicated there. If you have your Bibles there, in both in chapter 16 and 18, there is a footnote um, there that tells you the more precise translation there. It's more like whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you, uh, sorry, whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. The emphasis there is the action of the heaven. Whatever that has happened that will happen here on earth as well. So when somebody becomes a Christian, it's some, because something happened in heaven. And if somebody's expelled from the church, uh, it, it's because something happened in heaven. And we are represent, representatives, uh, as Niels said a long time ago, that we're embassies of that heaven here on earth. And we recognize the seriousness of this, I think. Right? Because when we baptize somebody, we don't just say, oh, this just happened um, for us. Right? We say this is a window into what's happened in heaven. We say oh, when somebody becomes a Christian, in heaven the doors were opened and this brother or sister has been welcomed into the church family, to the kingdom of God. And vice versa, when we discipline and expel a member, well, it too shows a window into what has happened. Um, in heaven. But what do we do? What did Peter do with this key, with this enormous responsibility of opening or loosing and binding? Well, he went out. He went out into the world with this key. Uh, I would love to have more time to look into this uh, in detail, but if you, uh, you see it in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up full of the Holy Spirit and opens the gate of heaven to all of the Jews who are gathered there. He preaches that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
and, and he opens the gate to the Jews. In chapter 8, he goes to the, Samaria, uh, to, 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 to the Samaritans, and he opens the gate of heaven there. In chapter 10, with Cornelius, and, and therefore the rest of the Gentiles, he opens the gate of heaven and say, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and if you trust in him, then you are admitted into the kingdom of God. He goes out with the message of the gospel. And of course, at the end of this, chap- uh, at, at the end of this gospel, Ma- gospel of Matthew, we're sent out to do exactly that, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. Can you believe it? We are entrusted with the keys to the kingdom of God. There's no plan B in Hong Kong. It's you and me and people here. What will you do with this key? Will you go out? Will we go out with this heavy responsibility of opening up the gate of heaven to the people around us? Friends, Easter is coming. And I know things are hard, but it is time to celebrate (laughs) It is time to share this good news with others. Will you join in in doing it? Invite people to the church service on Easter Day. We'll have a special service. Invi- maybe you could do record um, short testimony, uh, you know, a, a, a minute of, of what, what Easter means to you and share it with your friends and family. Put it on social media or something. Go out and take chances to share the good news of Jesus with others because this message, think about its significance it unlocks the kingdom of God. It, 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 it forgives the sins that people are carrying. It gives people life, eternal life. It gives people uh, the, the, this, the Holy Spirit uh, who lives inside of them, who will dwell with them and, and become this spring of life in them. You might think, well, that's too much responsibility. Uh, really, like the salvation of the people around me is in my hand? Well, actually, I want to end how we begin. We can't open the eyes of the blind, can we? We can't breathe life into the dead. That's not our job. But he has entrusted us with the key and has commanded us to go out. And there are no likely or unlikely people But as we go out, uh, indiscriminately, invite everyone who would listen to this message, God will build the church. God will reveal himself. He will build his church. And the gate of heaven will be unlocked. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes to this truth of the gospel, to the message of Jesus, that we are able to see who you are. We praise you and we thank you. And Lord, we thank you for bringing us as part of the church, your body. We thank you for including us as your people. Lord, help us to know the blessing that is Help us to know the responsibility that you've given us. Help us to go out with this key, uh, Lord, to our friends and to our family, to the people around us. And Lord, help us to proclaim that Jesus is our Messiah, the Son of the living God, 
Help us to proclaim the good news of forgiveness, good news of the kingdom of heaven that's been flung open through your Son, Jesus. And help us to invite everyone around us and use us now, Lord, as we go out to open the eyes of the blind. Use us to give eternal life to the people around us. Use us to transfer people's membership from uh, this kingdom of Satan and kingdom of God. Lord, use us in these coming weeks and make us bold to go out trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen.